Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your our salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Father God, I just pray that as we get into your word today, that your Holy Spirit is in work in my heart as I preach and in work of the heart of your people as they listen, God. We long for you to speak to us today. Father, we say, um, speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. So, did you know that during the filming of Batman, The Dark Knight Rises, second one, best one, in my opinion, um, they actually broke one of the most expensive IMAX cameras in the world by driving a truck into it. At the time, there were actually only four in the world. They were so expensive and rare that they were basically entirely uninsurable. So, lesson learned, you would think. But actually, um, during the filming of the third Batman film, they drove the Batmobile into a second expensive, rare IMAX camera, which was entirely uninsurable and irreplaceable. So the reason I'm telling you that is that I'm a bit of a lover of films. And one of the things that I love to do is I love to read the -the behind-the-scenes commentary and see what the directors say about what went on when they were filming. One thing I would never do, though, is read the director's commentary first. Because obviously that's going to contain massive spoilers. I was going to say, uh, have a slide up here that says, Luke, I am your father. Um, so sorry about that, spoiled. Um, <laughs> and, um, because that would just contain spoilers, you know, it wouldn't make any sense. So actually, when I started today by reading Psalm 51, actually I've made a terrible mistake. Because what Psalm 51 really is is almost like a behind-the-scenes commentary on a different story from somewhere else in the Bible. And actually, in this case, it's very important to understand that story. Otherwise, we can't really understand what David is driving at in this psalm, what's driving him. You see, this psalm is about a time when David was at his absolute lowest point, his most flawed, um, his most wretched This psalm was written when David wasn't everything that he was called to be by God, when he didn't live up to expectations. So it's not a pretty story. 
But I hope you'll agree that if we can stare that uncomfortable story in the face, that what we get is an insight into the hope that David has at the end of that ugly story. We get to see the rescue that God has planned for people like us. So I suppose the question, or what I'm really going to talk about today, is repentance. I want to talk about what is real repentance. So let me tell you the story. Everything is going really well for David. He's absolutely at the height of his power. His kingdom is growing and successful. Um, His life is full of good things. But one day David sees Bathsheba bathing naked on the roof of her house. So, you know, in hindsight, it's easy to say, oh, David, you should have gone and had a cold shower, a calming sandwich, maybe thought about cricket that we are winning currently. Um, (laughs) But actually, you know, in the heat of the moment, David makes a bad choice. He doesn't do that. And instead, he seeks out Bathsheba, a woman he knows is already married, and takes her for his own. Now, you look, that is bad enough, but David actually goes on to get this even worse, get himself even worse in a hole. Um, so when he finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant, far from taking that as a reality check to stop going down the path that he has chosen, he actually doubles down on his sin and he organizes for her husband to be assassinated in the heat of battle. You know, I think we all face choices like this on a bit of a regular basis, to be honest. And I think it's easy with David to look in hindsight and go, oh, David could have made this choice or that choice. But actually, um, we often have the same choice. Do we turn back? Do we carry on? And in the end, we're really no different from David, except that now we can see the consequences of David's choice to minimize his sin. You know, I don't know, but I wonder if David would ever have confessed But in the end, it is all brought to a head when he is um, confronted by Nathan the prophet, who lays out the consequences of what he's done. So the consequences are truly dire. David's kingdom is in turmoil, and his son, his firstborn son, would die. Now, I don't know about you, um, when I first read that, I was a bit shocked that the consequences of David's sin fall on his innocent son. But, you know, I think before we get angry at the just judge, I think we should be angry at the unjust man who is at the center of the storm. So I think we prefer to think that our sin is is personal and individual. Um, It feels better that way because it means we can sin and it doesn't affect anyone around us, it's just us. But actually... I think the truth is that there's no such thing as private sin. You know, you can see in Genesis, just from the creation story, that the sin of one man now impacts the whole of creation. It's a very simple parable of the public consequences of our so-called private rebellion. And you know, even David, who has more right than anyone to rage and scream at God for the death of his son, acknowledges that God is right and his judgments are right. He says, your judgments are just. I know that's shocking, and I still find it shocking, but I wonder if you can imagine the pain that David is feeling. 
in that circumstance. I wonder if you can imagine the guilt. David feels responsible for the death of his son. And you know, I think the psalm feels very different when you read it in in light of, of that truth. You know, many of us will never find ourselves in the circumstance that David found himself. But the truth is that the sin in our life is just as serious as his. And we desperately need a solution, just as David did. You know, I would imagine that most of us have found ourselves in a position of deep regret at some point in our life. You know, I would probably guess that many of you have found yourself in that position this week or, or even this morning. So if the first thing you thought when I read the psalm out today was, I get what David is talking about, you relate to David, then I actually think you're in a good place to understand the impact of real repentance as laid out in this psalm. If you stand alongside David today, then I think you're in a good place to understand the hope that he has, to begin to see how grace and mercy and repentance can break us out of those moments of despair and so much more than that. So I want to start with a question. How do you know that you are forgiven by God? I think to some people that actually seems like a bit of a silly question. You know, doesn't God just forgive people? Why would God not forgive you? And it's quite a popular view, actually. But I think in this instance, it doesn't really stack up. And David lays out the problem in this psalm very, very clearly. He says, God is holy. He is morally perfect. His judgments are supremely incorruptible. And humanity, flawed, rebellious, ultimately living in opposition to God. And that's a position that we find ourselves in today. You see, it's tempting to complain, and I am tempted to complain, that God would judge us for even the small sins that we commit that seem to not be any problem at all. You know, but actually I think the only alternative is to worship a God who isn't really just. And admitting some of my own biases here, when I say that, what I really mean is, why does God judge my sin? Isn't it just everyone else's sin that's the problem? You know, but actually the truth of that is that a God who isn't just, who doesn't punish wrongdoing, is not just, is not God at all. Um... And it's actually the greatest mystery in the whole Bible that people like us, who are flawed and imperfect, can actually be offered mercy and forgiveness by God. One of the greatest mysteries, far from being obvious and simple, is puzzling. And you know, the truth is that David, even as he wrote this psalm, he didn't really understand. He didn't really understand how that could be. All he had was the scriptures to go on to say... God is both just and merciful. Even though God is holy and I am not, he knows that somehow he can receive forgiveness from that God. But not because his guilty emotions are placated. Not because his sin has no consequences and not even because he can now look good again in front of other people. You see, David knows that his forgiveness is first and foremost rooted in the character and person of God. The reason it's powerful to understand that is that it means that, the, it means that the basis of your forgiveness is completely unshakable. If forgiveness was based on your feelings, then you would never be forgiven until you felt forgiven. If it was based 
on your works, on your morality, on your changed life. You would never be forgiven until you were perfect. If it was based on your service in church on Sunday morning, then you would never be forgiven until you had repaid in full your debt to God. But you know, the good news is that your forgiveness is based on none of those things. And the bad news is that if it truly was, we would not be forgiven at all. I guess that's also good news. The thing is, the only real basis for forgiveness can be who God is, because God will never, ever change. When David said, David said God's, God is merciful, he knows he will be forgiven because God can never stop being merciful. He can never change. Even if David did all of that, all that sin, over and over and over again, it wouldn't change the merciful character of God even one bit. The best news of all is that while David just had the scripture to rely on, to trust that somehow God would reconcile the the mystery of justice and mercy, we know the answer. And the answer to the mystery is Jesus. Jesus is the real reason that we can know that we are forgiven. Because the Bible says that Jesus is a perfect picture of what God is like. And that Jesus will never change. So if you're wondering whether, whether God will forgive you this morning, I want to point you to the life of Jesus and see that God himself was not just supremely holy, but supremely merciful. He wasn't just utterly uh, perfect, but he was utterly compassionate. He wasn't just totally sovereign, but he was totally loving. Jesus never rejected repentance. He always welcomed the worst of the worst. He always welcomed the most hated, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the liars, the murderers, the scum of the earth. Jesus welcomed. And the truth is that there is no one who is outside the sphere of the love of Jesus in the Bible. And that will never change. There will never be anyone outside the sphere of his love because he will never change. And you see, the truth is that Jesus suffered in our place for our sin, even becoming sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. He lived a perfect life that we're now given credit for by God. And he, when he died, he rose again from death to an eternal life that we can now share in. And you see, the reason I want to repeat that and tell you it is that that will never change. If you trust and follow Jesus this morning and repent, then God will never see you as less than perfect because Jesus will never be less than perfect. It's worth holding on to that. If you follow Christ this morning, you can never be seen by God as anything less than perfect. And the reason is that Jesus will never be anything less than perfect. Even if you waste your life totally in sin, if you spend the rest of your life wallowing in guilt and shame, the truth is that is all finished because Jesus died once for all and rose again. Neither your sin nor your guilty feelings can ever change that Jesus is alive. That is the unshakable basis of forgiveness. 
We need to take the path of David today to completely walk away from all the shallow, shabby, and counterfeit foundations for forgiveness. You know, feelings, performance, our service, our giving. And instead, we need to anchor ourselves to the eternal, unchanging Savior, Jesus Christ, who is both just and the justifier. So I think my next question when I wrote this is, well, what does it look like when we live this way? And the rest of our time together, I want to, time together, I want to explore what real repentance looks like and how it changes us. So I've said it before, but one really common mistake is to link our repentance to how we feel, to our feelings of guilt. You know, if the main reason that we say sorry, and I am guilty of this at times, is just because we don't want to feel bad anymore, then we've missed the point. There's so much more to it than that. Now, you see, I'm not saying that the way that you feel doesn't matter, because actually I think the promise of the Bible is that if you are truly forgiven... One of the impacts of real repentance is that your past can't hold you anymore. You're free from the baggage that once weighed you down, from the emotional and spiritual damage that your sin has caused. And you know, David actually directly addresses this, I think, in this psalm. He says, my sin is ever before me. I was even born sinful, he says. I mean, have you ever got to that moment? of just total defeat, when you say, God, I don't even know if I can change anymore. I don't even know if that's in me. Well, if you feel like that, if you felt like that, and I tell you something, you're not alone. And it's not just David. So have you ever felt that you can't escape from your sin? Felt hopeless because you've said sorry so many times and seemingly failed so many times more than you've said sorry? When we feel overwhelmed and hopeless in the reality of our weakness and sinfulness, we are in the place that David found himself. And the question is natural, what do we do? What do we do today if you've been sitting here while I've been explaining this and just nodding along with David going, yeah, I'm with you David, I understand what this is like, what do I do? How do I fix this? Well, I suppose the good news is that you don't have to. David whose sin was catastrophic, we've seen, catastrophic, has only one answer. There's only one answer to the question, and it's to turn to God. You know, when David turns to God, primarily, I think, for three things in this psalm, he wants to be and feel clean. He wants to change and stay changed. And he wants to fully and freely experience the promises of God. So let me tell you about those in order. Firstly, David wants to be and feel clean. You know, I think for a lot of us, that was the first time that we really understood our need for God. You know, when we get to that moment where we just feel completely condemned by our our own conscience, the natural question is, will we ever be clean again? And the truth is that if you completely rely on the saving power of Jesus, then you can do more than just feel temporarily clean. You can be permanently clean. David asked God to wash away his sin, to cleanse him from his sin, to blot out his iniquities. What's on offer here is truly astonishing and completely unique. Most people go their whole lives clinging tightly to the baggage of their past, heavy laden with regrets. 
Most people are scarred by broken trust and failed relationships and have no way to ever be free. You know, so if today you feel trapped and oppressed, then the good news is that God is freely offering freedom and cleansing for you. Jesus paid in full the penalty for those shameful secrets that hang over your head and the sins committed against you that you just can't let go. If only you will admit that he is the way. Admit your need for him. If only you will repent and freely receive his love and acceptance, then there is a fresh start available for you today. Whatever you have done and whatever has been done to you. More than that. So if you've been a Christian for a long time, then I want to tell you today that actually that same fresh start is available for you every day and every moment. So it's beyond wonderful that we can know that God will forgive us, but it's even more wonderful that we can know that beyond that, God will continuously and always willingly, lovingly wipe the slate clean again and again and again. You know, when you follow Jesus and you, you, you always and quickly bring your failures and flaws to him, from the smallest to the biggest, then your past sin can never have the power over you ever again. There is no other way to be truly free. But there is an even greater blessing when we repent. See, the second thing David prays for is to be recreated. You know, whether you are a Christian or not, you've probably made some resolutions in your life. And if you're anything like me, you're great at making resolutions, but even better at breaking resolutions. And when we read this psalm, I think we can see that David knows that he's that kind of guy too. You know, it's magnificent to know that even being those kind of people, we can be forgiven and forgiven and forgiven. And we will always be forgiven by God when we repent. But we are not doomed to that cycle of forgiveness and repentance. Far from David only coming to God for forgiveness and nothing more, he actually comes to God for everything that he needs when he repents. Everything that he needs when he wants to lead a new life. And I think this is really, really important because it's really easy to slip back into the mindset where we are fully responsible by hard work for maintaining our guiltless standing before God. You see, David is very clear that he isn't up to that job. And, you know, don't forget that David... You know, if you read the Bible, he's one of the most passionate followers of God who ever was. One of, the, you know, one of the great men we read about in scripture. So I think if David says, you know, I haven't got enough in me to do this. I think that we should also be able to say, actually, neither do I. See, my point is really that David, the great man, asks for more than forgiveness because he needs it. He has to be purged completely from his past sin. He asks for complete freedom from the power that he's given it. Complete freedom from the attraction that it holds. To be emptied entirely of sin. And David knows that he needs God to provide him with a new heart. A new spirit. Effectively, a new David. You know, so if you're feeling trapped in your sin today. If you feel like you're trapped as yourself. Unable to change then I want to tell you this, as long as Jesus is alive, you can have new life. 
Jesus has the power to create a new you. And you know, I know that this is true and that will never change because Jesus died on a cross in our, for our sin in our place, rose from death and had a new life. So you can know for sure that that life will never end and that he will share it with you. As long as Jesus is alive, you can have new life. As long as Jesus is alive, you can have fresh power. As long as Jesus is alive, Jesus will uphold you in your new life. And the good news is that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. If you don't feel that you're living in the reality of that today, then I urge you, turn back to God for your new life. You know, there's no secret here. There's no trick. We, we can't do it on our own. Our only part is to go back to the throne of grace, freely, continuously, to lean fully on God. That verse, it says, come boldly before the throne of grace. That is not a verse which is written to people who are perfect. We come to the throne of grace because we need to receive grace, not because we're perfect. So I urge you, if you feel like you can't approach God today, then I would say do the opposite. If you feel like you can't approach God, the thing you need more than anything in your life is to approach the throne of grace. So this is what we do. We lead a lifestyle of repentance. And the results are more than being clean, even more than complete transformation if you can believe it there is more that David prays for David prays for a restoration of his intimate walk with God the God who will not hide his face from us who will not withdraw his spirit and will give us back the joy of our salvation for me this is actually the most critical sign that you have truly repented and truly believe that you are forgiven So the question is, do you experience the joy of your salvation? Now this might sound harsh, it's not meant to be harsh. If you don't, there's something wrong. And I tell you what, the thing wrong is not that you're a sinner and everyone else is not a sinner and God's withholding the joy of your salvation from you because you're just beyond the pale. You know, God, before you even knew him, provided totally for you. He gave his only begotten son to die on a cross to make you one of his children. He had a perfect life, the sacrificial death and a glorious resurrection. And in that he has permanently removed any barrier between you and him. He's removed any roadblock to experiencing fully a joyful relationship with him. And more than that, that's a full joy that not even the most desperate circumstances can touch and tarnish. Because I'll tell you what I've told you just before. This is all based on the fact that Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, then you are free to receive that joy of your salvation. I just want to urge you, if you are not experiencing that today, Christian or not, then there is only one step. It's a one-step program. That's to truly repent before God before him alone, and then to truly receive the fact that you are forgiven in Christ. The step is to rely on God for everything. So I suppose my final question is really, how do we repent and experience that new life, that cleanness, that change, 
that restoration. Well, I'll tell you, real repentance means always being open and honest with God. Even though it's hard, sometimes it means not overlooking our apparently respectable flaws. It means always coming quickly to him when we fail and always leaning on him when we need to change. Real repentance, you see, has nothing to do with our effort. It has nothing to do with our strength. Real repentance is about the power and the mercy of God. It's not just once upon a time, but it's a lifestyle for every day, for every moment. You know, some of you might take the first step on that lifestyle today, and some of you are just taking one more. But I hope you'll believe me when I say there is truly no other way. There is no other way to be free. There is no other way to truly change. There is no other way to truly experience joy than with total and reckless abandon, repent and follow Jesus. You know, the good news is the life that results from that is utterly priceless. It is utterly without equal. And once you've tasted it, I can tell you from first-hand experience that once you've tasted the life that God has, the rest of it, it just doesn't match up. It's never the same ever again when you truly experience the grace of God. What the world has to offer you, what sin has to offer you, it pales totally into insignificance. So if you're wondering today, is the pain, sometimes the, the shame feeling of repenting and saying before God, you know, I'm just not enough. Is that worth it? I want to say it is so much more worth it than you can ever imagine. The answer is, is so resoundingly yes in a way that you can't even believe until you taste it. This isn't just a call to people who don't believe yet, though. I want to say this is a call to all of you who have believed for a long time or a short time or never before. Because the longer you're a Christian, the more tempting it is to settle into a sort of just-so life of just enough holiness, of just enough repentance to get by day by day. But I'd like to say to you today, if that's what you've done, well, oh, you're missing the best part. There's so much more available than what you're receiving at the moment. You know, if we are hungry for God, I hope this morning that you will join me in recommitting ourselves to the pure pursuit of repentance. Because, you know, the truth is that nothing else will ever compare. One more thing. What happens when we truly commit ourselves You know, we make a big deal in this church about mission, and the reason for that is that mission is a big deal. But did you know that in David's mind, there can be no mission without repentance? And actually, he goes further. He says, without repentance, there can't be any worship. He says, without repentance, there can't be any sacrifices. There can't even be the coming of God's kingdom, he says, through us. And the reason for that, he says, is not even any point you know, these, trying to make these things happen without repentance and forgiveness. And I think the mistake we sometimes make is to think that actually it's our job to work very hard to make sure that we build the church. To put all of our graft in to do evangelism and make sure that God's kingdom come. And we should. We should work for those things. But actually, if we take our own efforts as the basis of those things, then we've made a very, very sad mistake. Because the truth is, having received forgiveness so freely, transformation so generously and 
blessing from God without borders. Our sacrifices of works don't suddenly become acceptable. Actually, the truth is we always remain totally dependent on God. So if you really want to push forward the mission of God, then I'll tell you something. The basis of that is always repentance. If you want to be a great evangelist, you have to begin with repentance. If you want to love and serve the poor, then you have to start with repentance. If you want to lead your family, you have to start with repentance. In fact, there is no other basis for the Christian life other than truly and fully submitting to God and saying, your way is better and I have no hope except the hope that I have in you. The walk of Christianity, the day by day, is trying to live more and more dependently on God and less and less dependently on our own strength. You know, so I really have four challenges for you today. We're going to take communion in a minute. And I hope that you'll respond to these challenges in your heart as you take communion. So my first question is this. This morning, do you need to experience forgiveness? Maybe that's for the first time. You know, today can be the day that you choose to follow God fully with all of your heart and he accepts you today. You know, I want to say particularly, we read this story about the consequences of sexual sin. So if there are people here who are addicted to pornography, if there are people here who are addicted to lust, if there are people here who have that lifestyle and feel ashamed, then I want to make it totally clear that the same forgiveness that David received is absolutely and totally available to you. God can break the power of adultery. God can break the power of wandering eyes. God can break the power of emotional infidelity. He can do it and that is fully available in him today. So my second question is, do you want to experience change this morning? Are you stuck in a rut? feeling unable to escape it. Well, I tell you something today, God is offering you that real transformation. On the basis of repentance, he's offering you a new life, a new life that's inside you, a new you. So if you need that, respond to that as we take communion. Thirdly, do you need to experience the joy of your salvation? You know, I know I've said it before, but God is freely offering that to anyone who repents. If your life has fallen into a rut and you just feel like you're grinding along and trying to do your best to keep your head above water, well, God has something much more precious and wonderful than that for you this morning. And finally, for some of you, do you want to change the world? Because if you really want to change the world, the people around you, the nations, then I want to encourage you today Let's rededicate ourselves to the pursuit of a lifestyle of repentance. Because if you do that, then you remove the boundaries and borders on what God can achieve in your life. It's incredible. Um, Pete always says, what does he say? He says, there is no other way to be happy in God, to trust and obey. I think I missed some of that, didn't I, Pete? But, you know... There's no other way, thank you, to be happy in God than trust and obey. And you know, that is so true this morning. So let's move into a time of communion together, whoever's doing that. So I just want to encourage you to respond to this word in your heart as you take communion together. Thank you.